Please turn now to our scripture passage, John 13. John 13, we read 1 through 17. So this is at the beginning of the upper room event, the uh, night before Christ was betrayed. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. After supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper, and laid aside his garments, and took a towel, and girded himself. After that he poureth water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. And cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus saith to him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, Ye are not all clean. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord. And ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, Ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. There we end our reading of the inspired word of God. Beloved congregation, when you and I face hardship, it's easy to center all of our attention on ourselves, turn our focus inward, and understand and want to be rid of that which we are facing, of that which will take a toll upon us. It's very striking that Christ, as the hour of his death approached, that rather than turning inward and thinking about the agony and, and the death ultimately that awaited him, he thought about his disciples and gave a shocking 
display of what he came to do to serve. Christ did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And it's a marvel, not just because of what Christ was facing, but also because of the heart of the disciples as they journeyed to Jerusalem, arguing who was going to be the best, the greatest, who was going to have pride of place in the kingdom. Completely unworthy to, to really be served. Lifted up. Proud and so far from what Christ would have them to be. And still, Christ served them. And here we see most of all that which office bearers are called to not merely reflect, but called to bring to you that Christ serves sinners. And that out of that awareness that they themselves also would would view their calling as self-abasing, self-effacing service for your good. So this afternoon, I'd like to especially focus not on the whole incident, but on verses 13 through 17, Christ's reflection upon the washing of the feet of his disciples. Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. And our theme this afternoon is called to serve. Called to serve. The authority of Christ, the example of Christ, the mission of Christ. Called to serve. Firstly, the authority of Christ. You call me Master and Lord. And that gets to the, the greatness of Christ. That gets to the the reality that Christ is the one who understands that what he is facing is entirely under his control. He is master and Lord, but he's also their Lord, their master. And it was something unknown in Jewish and Greco-Roman, Greece and Roman history, that a superior would wash the feet of inferiors. Quite often it would be the, the servant, one of the lower servants of the house that would, that would take the 
water and take the towel and and wash the dusty feet of those that that enter in and and it would be very dusty very dirty the the towel would be filthy and the water would be black but Christ does that task himself and we have to ask how could one in such a position of authority do such a a task as this? What would motivate him? And I think in this in this section, also leading up to verse thirteen, we see really motivations that Christ had leading him to wash the feet of his disciples. And the first one is that he loved his disciples. We read in verse 1, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. He loved them to the uttermost extent. And this is is really the, the... fountainhead of of service of self-sacrificial humble service is is a love ultimately for the lord and then too for those that are you are called to serve christ loved his own and he loved them to the very end to complete the task that he was sent to do. What a beautiful motivation love is. To not do what is required of us because it's an expectation. We have to visit because that's the night of the week and and this is the schedule, but to visit because we love. families we love the individuals or to meet and consider a a case for diaconate support not because it's another one that has come to us but because we love the individual or the individuals who have needs Christ was showing his love And his authority didn't make him detached, didn't make him isolated and separated. But his authority led him to even become, come lower and closer and more intimate, as it were, to display his love. This is a wonderful basis of true service. Love. And congregation receive the efforts of elders and deacons and in God's time pastor as done out of love because they love you. When there are words of of rebuke, whom the Lord loves, he chastens. 
A father disciplines the son whom he loves to receive it in the best of intentions out of love. And office bearers, how vital it is to have love for God as the fountainhead of a love for his people. Oh, that's so crucial to be kept in the love of God. A second motivation that Christ has in his authority is the clarity. The fact that he understood what he had come for. He pours water into a basin and begins to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. There was a crystal clear sense of his, his mission, his calling. And we'll get to this in, in the third point, but also his, his authority was that he was to care for and keep his disciples. And the way of doing this would be this representative cleansing that even Peter had to learn when he said, thou shalt never wash my feet. And Jesus bears along with him, you don't know what I'm doing now, but afterward you will, you will understand. And then Peter says, Thou shalt never wash my feet. If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. And then Peter says, Well, wash my whole, whole body, my hands and my head. And Jesus says, He that is washed needs not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and you're clean, but not all. So what is Christ doing here? He's understanding the purification that was absolutely necessary. Not merely purification according to the law. The water pots of of John chapter 2, the wedding in Cana of Galilee. But purification through Christ's work. Once Jesus cleanses a person, we can never be so soiled, so contaminated as not to be made clean again. So this is the work of the authoritative master to declare and to provide ultimate cleansing. Christ came to do that. Not as if this was some sacramental action requiring the church to continue it. But as it pointed ultimately to the great act of cleansing through the shedding of Christ's blood. 
and the authoritative declaration of his mouth, you are clean. And yet not all of you, because he knew Judas was among them. How much of a privilege it is to point people to the cleansing fountain. To the place where wholeness, to the place where the defilement of sin and and our own depravity can be completely washed. Let us serve in the areas of absolute great importance. Pointing people in their souls' needs to the Savior. The Savior alone can justify, can reckon people as righteous. The Savior alone, through His Spirit, can sanctify. The authoritative Christ was very clear on His mission. It was a cleansing mission, and he was absolutely successful. He was absolutely effective. Isaiah 52, verse 13, we read Isaiah saying, Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted. The Lord dealt prudently to put on display the calling for which he came. And the last thing about the authority of Christ is that he will be pleased to be stated as the ultimate authority. Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, well, for so I am. You see, the the counterintuitive nature is that by by humbling himself and showing this act of service the surprising outcome is that that his lordship and his glory shines forth even even more beautifully in other words the way the way up in a sense is is first to go down and he knows that his disciples will, will understand better at the, the glory of the suffering servant to have to go down and then grasp the, the height and the exaltation. We want to go straight up. We want to climb to the top and try to outwork and outachieve others there. And Christ says... My authority allows me to go down and to go down deep because the glory will certainly follow. And this, I think, also is vital to understand as congregation and as office bearers. It's not tapping into our own strength, our own wisdom, but it's being willing to go down, to serve, to get involved, to spend the time to pray. And then, out of the depths, the Lord in due time will bring 
exaltation will bring glory. Christ would go forward. He had all authority in heaven and on earth. And yet he willingly went down to the cross, went down to hell. That out of it, his lordship and his being master over all would shine forth even more brightly. So Christ delights to be declared as master, as Lord. That's who he is. And this is who you serve, office bearers, congregation. Because he, first of all, served us. So that's the authority of Christ. Secondly, we have the example of Christ. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. He gives the command. Ye also ought to wash one another's feet. I, the Master, I, the Lord, have have done this for you, and, and this is the way to break down your pride and to... Get through your stubborn unwillingness. I've knocked down the wall. I've done the deed to melt your heart. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. How clear this is that we're not to be self-centered. We're not here to say, what does the church do for me? What does the worship service do for me? Yes, that consideration can have a place, but it must be after many other things. One of which is, do I come with a, a humble spirit, a spirit of service? To the Lord's house with the people of God? Am I willing to be invested in, in lives of, of brothers and sisters in Christ outside of the service? Do I pray for them? Do I really seek to practically help however I can? What type of connection is there between us as fellow members in the church of Kenelon. It's not myself at the center. But it's also not thinking ill of others and how destructive this can be whether through gossip or whether through lack of information, not making a direct contact with somebody to learn. We can do so much damage. We need to be incredibly wise to understand that 
Christ calls us to wash one another's feet. What does this mean? This means, first of all, to see people as they are. We can't expect people in the congregation to not have challenges, to not be struggling against sin. They will always be, just like we will. All of us struggle. All of us are unclean in so many ways. We can be honest. We're broken. But then a second thing is, is not only do people have their issues, their sins, their struggles, but the washing of the feet is being familiar enough with them to engage them. To not just do an visit but to understand the nature of the need to pray for them prior there has to be a relationship Christ had a relationship with his disciples for three years of of ministry together they could see him he could see them and he knew them Washing each other's feet is understanding who the person is and them understanding us. So what can we do to promote this interpersonal knowledge, these relationships? So much of it is not merely on Sunday, but also in casual interactions throughout the week. And the last thing about the washing of one another's feet is seeking their ultimate spiritual good. Seeking their ultimate spiritual good. Or in other cases, ultimate physical good, but also spiritual good. Together. As two sides of of one coin. Seeking their ultimate good. And what is that? We need to know. We need to be made wise and discerning. Sometimes it will be a word of rebuke. It will be a discipline case. For their restoration, we pray. For their healing. Other times it will be a word of encouragement, an act of kindness done for their uplifting. But we want there to be the ultimate good of body and soul in view. Christ is the example. Jesus was and is the very Son of God. He was in heaven with the Father before the world was. He came to earth. And in his coming to earth, he came as a servant. And he humbled himself and became obedient 
even unto death. And he says, as it were, if you are connected to me, you will take on the identity of a servant as well. You will show brotherly love. You will deny yourself. For I have given you an example that ye should should do as I have done to you. What a motivation. What an incredible strength Christ gives. He knows that by his serving his disciples, he would lead them to be willing to serve the church. So Christ is the example. And this isn't all that Christ is, but he certainly put on display self-sacrifice which was beautiful. And congregation, understand that office bearers come as mere instruments of Christ to serve him. And in serving him, they're serving you. What a glorious reason to thank the Lord that people care about your good. That people would, would lay themselves down for your benefit. I think of the many things that a mother is willing to do for her family. She can be made one who's bandaging up a, an owie and tending to a physical need, and she can be one who's, who's got dinner on the stove, and she can be one who's talking to somebody and supporting somebody. What a high and varied calling. Children, you're grateful for them. So too in the church of Christ, office bearers, doing what comes to them for ultimate spiritual good. Pray for your office bearers. Pray that God would bless them and would make them a great blessing. Well, this leads us then lastly to the mission of Christ. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. And the idea of mission comes from the word sent. Neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. And so in being called, there is a a being sent. Called to serve. You are are entrusted with the the office and and you are, are put into office and you are sent forth. And here we, again, must understand that Christ was pointing us, pointing his disciples to himself. He's the one who was sent. Sent not to do his own will, but to do the will of his Father who sent him. He was the one on the mission And the mission was 
ultimately to be the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, of John 13, of Philippians 2, the one who would be humbled unto the point of death, even death on the cross. Why? Well, Christ was sent so that the church would be able to be gathered and established. And this is the call of service, doing what is your responsibility so that the church can be gathered, so that people can be brought in, so that people can be strengthened. Christ's mission continues today. Not as he's on the earth, he's in heaven. But what does he use? He uses office bearers to to be, as it were, his hands and feet. He sends forth his disciples as his servants. So this mission of Christ is to grow and purify and ultimately glorify a church for the praise of his name. This also guides office bearers and all Christians. What is our mission? How are we called to serve? Not just the office bearers, but we are called to serve as brothers and sisters in the same flock. There's the priesthood, there's the office bearing of of all believers. Caring for each other. Washing each other's feet in, in many senses. But let me just say a few aspects of this mission. The first, I think, is the strengthening of the brothers and sisters in the Lord. That's a vital task. The healthy sheep you want to feed and and continue to encourage growth. And we thank God that there are those who are healthy, who are sound, who are well. Don't let the struggles, the pains preoccupy. Yes, they do take time, but remember the healthy ones. Encourage them. Continue to give them food and support and pray for them. But then there are sickly and wandering ones. Don't be overly harsh. Be understanding. Be applying scripture to their case with wisdom and discernment. Hear them. Hear their struggle. Invite them in a way that's comfortable to share where they're at. The sickly, the struggling ones, the ones that are or maybe wandering. Oh, 
how much wisdom we need as to what scripture to read, what principles apply, but care for them. Don't spare a moment. Call them. Email them. Show that you are vitally interested in their recovery and their being brought back. A third mission is for those that are in error, for those that are in sin. Oh, how firm and yet loving we need to be. That we would not give up on anybody, but use the ordained provisions of discipline, of of prayer, and of communication. And then there are those that are lost to reach them, to lead in the way of caring for neighbors, caring for the community, caring for the mission of the church. We are called to serve. Serve the healthy, serve the sickly and the struggling. Serve those that are are backsliding in error serve the world. Who is sufficient? No one. But remember, there's one who was servant, who is Lord and Master on high. He furnishes that which we need. And he, and this is the most amazing part, blesses the service of his people for the good of his church. Amen. Let's pray. O Lord, lead us in the way of loving service to thy bride. Please bless those who are leaving office. We thank thee for their efforts. And we pray that they would leave hopeful in thy work of building the church and be with those coming in. Pray for these men that they would undertake their calling humbly, faithfully, joyfully, looking unto Jesus. Bless this flock, Lord. Sustain them. Cause them to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. And that others also would hear and come and know Christ as Savior and Lord and Master. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.